The following is a message by Pastor Caleb Bunch of Redeeming Grace Fellowship. For more information about RGF, please visit our website at www.rgf.church. Please feel free to make copies of this sermon or distribute to friends and family, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. Lord, we just thank you so much, uh, Father, just for your for your grace, for your mercy towards us. God, we thank you for this church, uh, for the ministry uh, that you've uh, given us uh, to, uh, to preach your word, um, to grow together in community. Um, and I thank you personally for uh, this, uh, this gift, this opportunity to proclaim your word, Father. I pray that uh, the words that I'm about to say uh, don't fall on deaf ears, uh, Lord, but I pray that uh, the heart's that uh, these words uh, fall on, are ready to hear them, that it's, uh, that it's uh, soil that's ready to, uh, for the words to be planted into, Father God, and that your Holy Spirit would uh, cause them to bear fruit, Father. Um, I thank you for all of us here, Lord. I know there's many things that we could do, especially in these you know, nice days like this. Um, so I thank you for every single person here in every seat um, that uh, made a sacrifice to come here on a Wednesday. Uh, Lord, we thank you and we love you collectively, um, and uh, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So uh, every day, I get notifications on my on my phone from the Apple News app. Anybody got the Apple News app on their phone? Yeah, I get some good stuff on there, right? Yeah. Uh, so I set it up uh, this way so that I can stay current on what's going on uh, out there in the world. I don't only get notifications about the news, though. Uh, sometimes they're about music, technology, you know, food, and many other things that I'm interested in. <clears throat> other times, I get notifications about interesting stories and articles. Right? Some of those ones I have saved now are, how does someone in a vegetative state have a baby? Hmm. Why it's almost impossible to jump more than 50 inches. Stuff to think about, right? Waking up at 4 a.m. every day is the key to success or getting a cold. Hmm. So those sound interesting to me, right? At least, you know, at least to me, they, they do. I think they might sound somewhere interesting to you guys. Um, so another one of these articles, uh, headlines that grabbed my attention recently, uh, sometime around uh, a couple weeks ago, was my husband and I left our spouses to be together Here's what I've learned about love. I'll say that one more time so you can really grasp that one. Right. My husband and I left our spouses to be together. Here's what I've learned about love. So I'm going to read an excerpt from this article. It's a little long, but just bear with me. I think you'll find it pretty interesting. Okay. It goes, Paul and I were friends for 16 years before we realized we were in love. After that, it took us less than a week to decide to leave our spouses, our spouses for each other. Wait, it's not as simple as that. Let me explain. First, we weren't friends in any traditional sense of the word. In reality, we barely knew each other. Our friendship had existed entirely within the confines of a burger booth where we both worked at the Oregon County Fair, an, an, an annual three-day summer festival. 
We met because we were early risers by nature, a rare find at festivals. I worked the breakfast shift in the morning, cutting potatoes at the concession stand, while Paul sat on a nearby cooler drinking his coffee and chatting with other people. When we finally fell in love, it was over that potato table. In one look, held so long and so hard that it stopped the teenage boy who was passing through the kitchen in his tracks. To this day, I can't remember what triggered that look. But I do remember the way Paul staggered, nearly dropping his cup of coffee, and the way I held my hand to my throat, which had blushed so deeply it practically burned to the touch. One of us said something about betraying our cool exteriors. One thought from someplace deep inside my heart forced its way into my head, maybe it's Paul. Maybe after a life of trying to make it work with other people, the one I was supposed to be with had been there right in front of me for years. Maybe it was Paul. We went on, we went about our day, potatoes and burgers, but in reality it was a devastating discovery. By that point in our lives, both of us were partnered in our mid-30s with real jobs and heavy commitments. Neither of us were happy. Worse than all of that, he had children. That same week, the first night we spent together, we fell asleep with our foreheads resting side by side and woke up eight hours later having, without having moved at all. Hours passed by as we sat in silence, watching a blue moon across the sky. This was not a thing we could ignore, knowing that we couldn't face lives of deception, that truth is always better than fiction, and that unhappy parents make for unhappy children, we decided we needed to jump fast. He had broken the news about us the moment his wife had arrived home from vacation. She forced him to tell their kids after less than a day in hopes that the guilt would be too much for him and he would change his mind. After he talked with them and she still wouldn't accept that it was over, he took a hard line telling her directly that this was no affair or fling. He intended to be with me for the rest of his life. Fifteen hours later, he packed everything from his life into his work truck, kissed his kids, and promised to come back for them and drove away from the life he had known up until that moment. We married one year to the day after a long, fiery look at the same booth we had circled around for so long at the Oregon County Fair. This year, we're celebrating our fourth anniversary, which seems like both a lifetime ago and no time at all. This is the first year together that we are free from legal battles and back on our feet financially, issues that cause some early tension and arguments between us. Time has given us perspective. Happiness, we've learned, changes everything, even if you have to lose everything first. And love, especially late-life late love, leaves room for adaptation, for crafting an intentional life, for friendship and equality and partnership that doesn't often, often exist in bonds formed out of lust or a stereotypical idea of how life should supposedly be. Hmm. So Ruby McConnell, the writer of this article, says that this entire ordeal taught her about love. A situation involving adultery, the breaking of the marriage covenant in two families, causing children to be raised in two different households, and lust, and a list of other things. That taught her about love. Love. It's one of the most talked about things in the world. It's the subject of movies, books, and songs. It's the word we use to describe how we feel about pizza, bacon, or chocolate, 
or our favorite sports team or the weather on a day like today that was just right or that one part in the song that gives us goosebumps love like with many other things because we hear speak or think of the word or the idea of love so much it has lost its depth of meaning what we really mean in a lot of these instances is that we get a euphoric feeling when we eat enjoy or partake of these things they bring us excitement and or happiness they make us feel good But thinking back to the story I read earlier, isn't that how she described her relationship? All of the things that transpired in order for her and her husband to be together was worth it because it made them happy. And this is what she says taught her about love. But this is not love. This is not love at all. This is not even close to how the Bible defines or characterizes love. So if it doesn't look like this, then what does it look like? So as you know, this summer we're going through uh, the first fruits of the Spirit found in Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23, which reads like this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such things, there is no law. So if you haven't guessed it already tonight, once again, we're zooming in on that first fruit of the spirit, which is love. love. Okay, just checking to see if you guys are still with me here, okay? All right, so at this point, I think it's important to reiterate a major point that Caleb made uh, last week in his introductory sermon for this series. So it is easy to look at this list uh, and think that all you have to do is is master each attribute and you'll be a good Christian. Right? This is the definition of legalism. So we don't want to think about it in that way. Uh, first of all, we won't ever be able to master these things uh, on this side of heaven. Not me, not you, not Pastor Caleb, not John Piper, not Mark Dever, not Tabidi Anyabwile, no one. Secondly, the only thing that makes us good is the grace of God and the blood of Jesus. And we can only know and receive these truths solely by the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, all of these things, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, they're not things we do, but rather things that the Spirit does through us. You tracking with me? After all, it's called the fruit of the Spirit, right? It's not called the fruit of Caesar or Cesar, right? I'm not sure how you say that. Um, or not the fruit of Franny, right? Or the fruit of Karen, right? Or the fruit of Barbara, right, Barbara? Not, not your fruit, right? Not your fruit. Okay, if there is any evidence of these things in your life, it is because the Spirit is working it out in us, So if others see these characteristics or attributes in your life, the correct response should be, oh, they have the spirit, not, oh, they're a good person. So that's a big difference. Thirdly and lastly, uh, Galatians 3, verse 3 says, Are you so foolish, having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? So many of us think the Holy Spirit uh, is a a parent-child Uh, Well, we think of the Holy Spirit in a parent-child relationship kind of way. And and what I mean by that is that uh, 
your parents are responsible for you being alive, correct? Without them, there would be no you, okay? But one of the main goals of parenting is to raise the child in such a way that they can eventually function and thrive independent of their parents. So as a child develops, they will need their parents' help less and less. This is not how our relationship is with the Holy Spirit. We have a more of a heart-body relationship with the Holy Spirit. Your heart is vital to your survival. There is no expectation that you will eventually get to a point where you no longer need your heart. Right? For as long as you live, you will need your heart. Your heart makes living possible. You started out with it, and you will always need it. Right? It is the Spirit who gives life, John 6, verse 63. The Spirit not only gives life, but it maintains and sustains it. Don't be so foolish to think that you're now working independent of the work the Spirit started in you. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ, Philippians 1, uh, verse 6. So that was all introduction, okay? So now let's, 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 let's get into it, okay? So I have two points to walk, with you, uh, to walk through with you t- uh, tonight. The first is, love is first on the list. And the second is, love like God loves, Okay? And I also have another point that you can take home with you, but we'll just discuss that a little bit later, okay? Firstly, love is first on the list. Now, in the case of Galatians 5, 22 and 23, love is literally the first fruit of the Spirit mentioned uh, on that list. And I think that this is uh, somewhat significant, especially when you consider that the Holy Spirit could, could have inspired Paul to list them in any order that, that he chose, The fact that love is first signals to me that maybe uh, this fruit of the Spirit is unique, special, or at the very least, it deserves special attention, right? Now, there are many passages of Scripture that are known by Christians and non-Christians alike. Passages like 1 Timothy 6, verse 10, uh, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils, or John 11, 35, Jesus wept. Or uh, Philippians 4, verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Uh, But 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 to 7 is another one of those passages. And that says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So now if we tie this truth back to the fruit of the Spirit, what we'll kind of realize here is that love is at the core of each and every one of those fruits of the Spirit. So how can you have joy if you don't love Christ and trust him through all of life's ups and downs? How can you pursue peace if you don't love those you desire to make peace with? You can't grow in patience unless you have love for the objects of your patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness are the face of love. Self-control is 
our loving response to the Spirit's sanctifying work in us. So all of these things are all tied back to love. You cannot have the other fruits of the Spirit unless you have love. It is the driving force behind all that we do. Now, having said that, it is crucial that we define what love actually is. So I have purposely left that out until now to make a point. I've used the word love a bunch of times up to this point, And the truth is that you have been interpreting or defining that word based on a number of things, right? Good and bad experiences with your family, friends, romantic relationships. Some may even associate love with abuse, sexual, physical, verbal, or otherwise. So as I transition into defining what love is from a biblical perspective, I urge you to submit your understanding to God's declared truth. Many of us have endured a lot of pain and heartbreak, anxiety, sorrow, because we were ignorant of what true love is. And so we embraced a counterfeit love only to be left empty and broken in the end. So this is what we bring to the table when we consider what love means. So let's open our hearts to receive the wisdom and knowledge uh, on this matter that only God can give. So there are many words in Greek for love, and the reason is because they describe different types of love. So if you've been in church for a while, you've probably heard this list many times, right? So for example, there's storge or storge, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but that's T-O-R-G-E, which refers to the bond or affection between parents and children, so that kind of affection. Uh, then there's uh, philia or f- philia. Uh, which is the root of Philadelphia. So most of you know that Philadelphia is the uh, city of what? Brotherly love. So that's that's the idea behind uh, philia. It's uh, not just brotherly, like actual blood brotherly love, but it's uh, more broadly it refers to the bond between a family or friends, so that kind of uh, relationship. Uh, then there's eros, which is an intimate or sexual uh, love. And it's where we get the word erotic from, right? And then lastly, there's agape, which is the word for love that's used in our passage uh, in Galatians. Now, agape refers to the unconditional love of God for his children. It is intentional. And one commentator wrote of agape saying, agape has to do with the mind. It is not simply an emotion which rises unbidden in our hearts. It is a principle by which we deliberately live. This leads to my second point. Love like God loves. So with this understanding of agape, let's see a couple of examples of it in scripture. Deuteronomy 31, verses 7 through 8. So this is uh, Moses speaking to Joshua before uh, he goes into the promised land. He says, Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all of Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. He will not leave you or forsake you. He loves you. He has made the decision to be with you. In Psalm 23, we read, 
as you may know, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He is with me. He comforts me. He prepares a table for me. He gives in abundance. He lavishes goodness and mercy on me. He loves me. This is all intentional action. Now, John 3.16, which is another famous one that we all are familiar with, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, let's camp out on this here for a little bit. So it's it's probably the most popular verse in the Bible, but I think it's slightly misunderstood in in a very simple kind of way. The term for God so loved the world is often misunderstood. Um, and I think we, when we read that, we, we read it to be God loved the world so much, right? Uh, but I think a better understanding of that is um, for God loved the world thusly or uh, God loved the world world in this way or this is how God loved the world, okay? So now if you read the, the passage, the scripture in that way, um, it reads, God loved the world in this way. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Okay? So this is how God loved the world. He, next word, he gave. Right? He gave. Gave is an intentional Action. Not only is it an intentional action, but we see that it is an intentional action that requires sacrifice. He gave his only son. So here's my working definition of love. Love is selfless action and sacrifice on another's behalf for the sake of their good and God's glory. Say that one more time. Love is selfless action and sacrifice on another's behalf for the sake of their good and God's glory. So that definition uh, is important because, for example, uh, you can be selfless towards, you know, another person and you can be sacrificial, you know, on their behalf. um, And it could be for their good, right? But if it's not for for God's glory, then you could have a little issue there, right? So, for example, let's say uh, someone wanted you to uh, lie to their boss and say um, that they got to work, you know, at a certain time, like on time, but they were late, correct? So if you did that, you would technically be being selfless. You'd be sacrificing in some kind of way, uh, and it would be on their behalf, but that's not glorifying to God. Correct. So you have to have to fit all of that criteria for that to be biblical, true biblical love. Um, so this is God's example to us, and He commands us to do the same. And John 15 verse 12 says, 
This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. This is not optional. It's, it is obligatory. You cannot profess to know and love Christ and not love your brother. These two things coincide. They are as connected as swimming and getting wet. It's, it's, that, it's, it's that together. You cannot separate the two. In his letter from a Birmingham jail, Martin Luther King Jr. wrote this. I have heard n- numerous Southern religious leaders admonish their worshipers to comply with the desegregation decision because it is the law. But I have longed to hear white ministers declare, follow this decree because integration is morally right and because the Negro is your brother. In the midst of blatant injustices inflicted upon the Negro, I have watched white churchmen stand on the sideline and mouth pious irrelevancies and sanctimonious trivialities in the midst of a mighty struggle to rid our nation of racial and economic injustice. I have heard many ministers say, those are social uh, issues with which the gospel has no real concern. The issue in the church at this time in America's history was that mostly all white Southern churches remained silent on the issue of segregation, racism, prejudice, and discrimination. Some even went as far as to say that the issue was a political one. Now we have the opportunity to look back, and oftentimes hindsight is twenty twenty. It was not a political issue at all. It was a lack of love. On Sunday, they uh, proclaimed to love and serve Jesus, but during the other six days of the week, they failed to love their brother. Now, most of us don't deal with this particular issue, but we have to be on guard so that the absence of love doesn't creep in in other areas of our lives. Now, uh, the one piece that I wanted you to take home with you is a very simple thing. Okay, you ready for it? It's very simple. You ready? Yes, you ready? Okay, here we go. Do. That's it. D-O. Do. First John 3, verse 18 says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. See, it's easy for us, especially in this uh, day and age. I sound so old saying that in this day and age. But in this, in this time, it's very easy for us to, to think good things, to think lovingly, all right? To consider things. Oh, I think, I think that giving to the, to the poor is, is a good thing to, to do. I think uh, giving to this ministry is a good thing to do. I think this and I think that. A lot of us are uh, split, or the road, when the rubber meets the road, a lot of us are split on whether or not we actually do, do what we think and, and, or in, uh, and if we don't do what we think, correct? So, now what if Jesus only thought about going to the cross, but never acted on it, right? So what if he came, he lived the life, he preached the sermons, he helped people, he healed people, he, he uh, uh, discipled the disciples, right? He did all of those things. He walked on water. He did every single thing that we, that we read of, but he only thought about it, but he never acted on it. He never did it. Where would that leave us? So I want you to think about activating your love. The things that you say that you love, if you're married, your spouse, right, your children, right, your friends, your church, 
whatever it is that you belong to that you say that you love, if you're not motivated by action to do something, that is a problem, right? You should be loving everybody, but it has to be active. You have to do something. Now, let me straighten this out and say this right now, right? This is not a legalism call here, right? It doesn't mean that once you start doing things that everything will be fixed and we'll be good to go. No, we clarified that before. But we can get into a rut and think that, oh, I don't want to be legalistic. No, 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 this is not what this is, right? Love is made real by action. Faith without works is dead, right? So if you love, you must do. (coughs) Heavenly Father, thank you for (coughs) your um, inspiration of the word, Lord, your um, attentive hearts, um, at this moment, Lord, and we, um, I just thank you, Lord, for uh, just uh, speaking through me, and uh, I, I thank you for uh, this church, Father, um, and Lord, I pray that uh, the word that has gone forth um, has been truly heard in a real uh, way, Father, and that you would help us to truly love and take your example um, all the way to the cross, Father God, being intentional in everything that that that, uh, that that you did by giving up of your son, by Jesus actually laying his life down, Lord, um, that you would help us to show our love towards one another, show our love to the world around us, Lord, Father God, by what we do and not have it be uh, empty words and promises and things like that, Lord, but help it to um, have legs and have arms and have hands, Lord, Father God, Uh, and to help us affect the people around us, Um, help it to be a real thing, Lord. And Lord, I I pray against any uh, feelings of uh, legalism or things like that that we might be fighting against, Lord. Um, Lord, I pray that you help us to do this in a a real way that that not only um, gives us a a feeling of uh, fulfillment or anything like that, Lord, but that um, glorifies you and that ultimately praises you, Lord, and um, that you find um, joy and, um, and that we can find joy in as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.